If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com and the show in which people share their stories. This is the Survivor Special, where survivors of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse come forward to share their experiences and thereby raising awareness and preventing the likelihood of it happening again. No further research has been done into these stories. This episode is intended for mature audiences and listener discretion is advised. Names have been changed to provide some privacy to our dear guests sharing their vulnerable and personal experiences. I am Francisca, and you are listening to the No More Silence segment on The Francisca Show. Thank you, Jewish Coffee House. And I would like to also mention that one of our sponsors is Shop Drop, and this week they are running a sample sale. And of course, I forgot this famous name. Okay, and they're called Badgley Mishka. So make sure to check out Badgley Mishka's sample sale. Um, I will link it. You could also download the Shop Drop app and find out about that. Okay, now to our No More Silence segment. I would like to thank our dear guest for coming on today to share his story with us. This is a part of the Francisco Show podcast where once a month we feature a story in hopes of bringing healing, bringing awareness into the Jewish community of the terrible things that happen and in hopes of changing this going forward and preventing stories like these from happening. Today on the show with us, we have Bensi, and I know a little bit of your story, but I am very honored for you to give us the opportunity for you to share your story in a little bit more detail. And I know had an incredible journey and you have turned your, turned yourself around completely and you're doing amazing things with your life now. So the mic and the floor is yours. So the mic is and the floor is yours. Please feel free to start wherever you feel like your story begins. Thank you. First off, thank you for having me. Uh, I respect and honor the work that you're doing. I appreciate when anybody is uh, brave enough, willing enough to step into um, the arena of life and deal and speak about things that need to be spoken about. And mainly when somebody's doing it in order to prevent and help people for the future, inspire people who have been through similar experiences and to show them, you know, that there's other people out there as well. So I uh, honor you for what you're doing first off. Thank you. So do you want me to start like, you know, any specific parts or just go? Yeah, where wherever you feel the relevant part of the story begins. Yeah. So I'll, I'll hop around a little bit because, you know, there's no specific, there's a lot of different aspects to it. But um, I grew up in a ultra-Orthodox family, a very large Orthodox family. And long story short, growing up, I grew up in a tight-knitted community. You know, a community where religion ultimately 
was the guiding force of our life. You know, it controlled what went on in the house, what we spoke about in the house, how we dealt with our emotions, how we dealt with life, how we, all aspects of life more or less were through a religion, you know, a religious lens. So that will decide what school you go to, will decide what type of person you marry more or less. It could decide how you process emotions, how you process feelings. So I feel this gives more of a general picture of the idea of the childhood as opposed to the details are irrelevant as far as a lot of other details. But just the general picture, that's what it was like for me growing up in an Orthodox um, large family. I, I find that also in Orthodox community, it could be hard at times to find your own identity growing up just because there's not, at least in my scenario, there wasn't much sharing. There wasn't much talking about what I want, who am I, what do I desire, what don't I like, you know, the basics, the basics of childhood. So my experience with sexual abuse growing up was, and I'll this this will be in a certain sense the shorter part of the story, but I had I had a couple different instances where I was sexually abused within the community. Um, a couple times it involved neighbors, and a couple times it involved other people in the neighborhood. And you know, as a kid, there's obviously I don't even know how to explain it. There's all these mixed emotions, uh, feelings, not knowing. The main thing, just not knowing, you know, that's why it's trauma. If we, if we knew how, if I knew how to process it as a kid, it wouldn't have been traumatic. But for anybody who goes through this stuff, the reason at least I understand it being traumatic is that it's something that the brain is not really in a space to know how to handle. The same way, like if somebody gets into a quick car accident, right, that's traumatic because it's, it wasn't expected, it wasn't seen coming, and it's something that the brain just doesn't know how to deal with. You know, it's that's what trauma is. So, of the, you know, I'll, I'll go, I'll go at a few of the different hardships. I would say to bring out a point, but when, you know, when, a, when, when within a community is really not much room, there's really not much space for individuality, and there's not much space for talking about something that might be uh, deemed upon as. Uh, bad, so to say, which that word doesn't really exist in my dictionary any, anymore. I don't really see that as a word. Or on a side note, I don't really see the words right or wrong. Those, those words don't really either apply in my dictionary anymore in life. I uh, haven't found value in them <laughs> or meaning. So, but growing up in that type of, you know, orthodox community, it really, as a child, I don't see it, you know, as a place where there's any hope in a certain sense for a kid who's going through sexual abuse because the stuff starts going on, right? Um, and for me personally, I was dealing with a lot of emotional stuff at, you know, starting at 10 years old, 9, 10, 11, 12, and there was really nowhere to go with it. It's not like we go to a school where, oh, in this school we preach about feelings and we talk about individuality and we talk about you know, speaking up for what's truthful. That wasn't the conversation being taught in the community. The community the Torah, the religion, that whole, the talk wasn't of let's be living a truthful, genuine, meaningful life of what's really going on. Rather, it was much more God-based. And I would say, to put it into um, one word, I'd say fear-based. Um, I experienced growing up religion. It, it actually didn't make sense to me, personally. It didn't make sense to me as a kid because there's two aspects, I, and, I, and I, there's a vivid memory that I have as a kid um, after I was sexually abused one specific time. I was walking home, 
after an incident. It was in the evening time. And I think I was 11 at the time. And obviously there was confusion and I didn't know what was going on in my life for being a child with uh, that type of behavior. And I just remember something. I remember feeling this feeling of like, what's going on? This is not the truth. You know, something didn't align. Something didn't sit with me like, I'm going to go home now. I'm going to hide. I'm not going to say anything. But what about the truth? Like, how does this make sense? This life doesn't make sense. Not in the sense of that I don't believe there's a God and all that. No, not on, not on such a deep level. Just on the basic level of what I'm experiencing right now is not the truth because I have this hidden world going on of being sexually abused by somebody super unhealthy and somebody who's harming me. But yet I'm not sharing that world within my own world. So... It was, inter it's inter it was interesting growing up as a kid with, so to say, following God and following the Torah, but not really living a truthful life, you know, because there was these two aspects. There was my hidden life that was going on on the side of being abused. And then there was the life at home, so to say, of being a regular, happy-go-lucky uh, Jewish Orthodox boy, smiley, you know, and all of that. So that was, that was like... Does that give you a little picture, Francesca? Like you can ask me questions as we go, but is that giving you a picture on an emotional scale without details, just because I don't find the details beneficial as much of what was going on? Um, and we did discuss beforehand, before starting this, how you don't want your story just being created or uh, dis, uh, just being another story. And that's why you don't want to go so much into the detail and that's totally okay but what we do like to touch on in these episodes are certain behaviors or red flags or certain details that you can share that can potentially help teachers friends parents prevent uh, future harm or or actually recognize harm when it's happening and prevent more of it or be able to find intervention and find healing sooner. So if you would be comfortable, please do share. You don't have to go into complete details, but some details just to give some context and uh, to your story. Yeah, sure. I, uh, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. So a couple of things. Because um, now... I could look back and see it differently, you know, and I could see um, what would be what would have been a benefit for myself being a child at the time. You know, and a lot of times I hear people saying, like, what flags we have known. And there's one thing that I first want to clear off that we're all human and there's a reality that things aren't perfect. So every society has its little things that, you know, don't work out the best. I'm not saying things are preventative at all. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm just I just like putting out that idea that we are human and we live in a society where Things are going to happen one way or another, you know, not necessarily an abuse, but a kid's going to fall off a bike as well, you know. But I think a big part of it, the way I see it as an adult now, the parents, and it doesn't have to do so much with the parents you know, seeing a red flag. Rather, I see it so much more as the parent living with themselves. Because if the lifestyle that we choose to live, if we choose to be fully truthful with ourselves, we're going to allow that space for other people. I know as an adult, I found for myself in meeting different people from all walks of life at this point, I've had some pretty cool encounters over the past five years that when I be a certain way, when I show up a certain way, I then create that environment for the person who I'm having an encounter with. So on a very basic level, 
you know, if we're raising a home, let's just say, or a school or a shul, a church or a temple or whatever it is, like, you know, what's the culture that we're giving over? If it's a culture that we're giving over is where it's not fully truthful. It's a culture of, let's just say, caring more about what people think than living and showing up and being the genuine person who we really are. Things like that will happen more because we've created an environment as adults, it comes on to us, we've created an environment where it might be more important that we look a certain way, we don't feel shameful about ourselves, you know, we don't want to feel judged by other people. So we've decided then to create an environment that could be a, a stronger breeding ground for these types of things to happen and not be spoken about. Because let's just give an example. Let's give an example. I'll use myself as an example, right? Growing up, you know, I was in that picture perfect family. My father's a rabbi, my mother's a teacher, we're, you know, all the good behaved kids and everything. And it was there was a strong emphasis, even though it was unspoken, but there was a strong emphasis in our family and within the community to look good, you know? Like you want to be the 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 family who looks good, you together, and everyone's smiling, and every answer is thank God I'm happy and thank God things are going well. And that's beautiful unless that's the reality. I don't, I'm not against things being well. But if that's the lifestyle that we're putting energy in and awareness and focus to, that's the exact environment that we're going to find ourselves in, right? So if then abuse starts happening, so I'm getting sexually abused, I'm feeling horrible about it, shameful, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to want to go running home to my parents to tell them what's going on. Because we've already created an environment that doesn't respect that. It doesn't want that. That's not what we do around here. Around here, we're all about Baruch Hashem. We're happy. We're good. And we're smiley, you know? So I think a huge part is upon us, each individual. Because, you know, this universe is not made up by principals. It's not made up by rabbis. It's not made up by teachers. It's made up as everybody. When we show up a certain way to the world, the world shows up to us back that same way. Because that's the environment we're choosing to create. Does that uh, resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. So can you take me through the first times or the first time you spoke up? Who was it with or who was it to? And what was the reaction? How, how did that process begin for you? Sure. So I actually uh, was scared to share with anybody for most of my childhood and then into teenhood and then into adulthood about what went on. In my earlier 20s, I was actually asked by a couple of people, like, did somebody touch you? Did something go on? Being that my life was spiraling out of control emotionally, my anxiety levels, you know, throughout the years were just getting worse and worse. And I was running more from myself and just doing behaviors that were out of an attempt feel okay, which to all of you out there, and just understand, when somebody's doing behaviors, I know for myself, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, impulsive behaviors, most of the time, or 99% of the time, it's just a symptom. It's just a reaction to trying to feel good, to trying to come to a place of peace, to come to a place of truth, where there's a wholeness. It has nothing to do with what I was doing or what other people do in life. You know, it's like, the drugs are the problem or whatever. No, they're not the problem. <laughs> like, you know, there's always something behind it. But I personally, I held it in. And the longer I held in my secrets with me, the more, you know, the harder it was to live a, uh, so to say, regular life. So I was in yeshiva and it was my 24th birthday. 
And I was sitting with a rabbi, actually, who I have a lot of respect for. And he looks at me and he goes, listen, man. <laughs> he goes, I've met a lot of guys over the years, like thousands. And, and he's most of the time, I, you know, I hear their story and I get to know what's up. You know, not like diagnosis, but like I, I talk to them, and I get a feel of what's going on and what, what's the game plan moving forward. He said, but you, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You come in here complaining, you know, like I wasn't happy. I was pretty miserable inside, but he, he says I knew my whole story. So he said, I really just don't know what to say to you. And believe it or not, it was actually my 24, it was, it was my birthday. I don't know if I said that before. It was on my birthday and I was sitting with him in a driveway in a car. And I just, I don't know how the question came out, but he said something to me about sexual abuse and I just lost it. And I just, you know, I just opened up to him and just poured out and it just came tumbling. Like for me, that was waiting 20, it was 16 years uh, roughly at the time of just a secret, not, you know, not one secret, multiple secrets. So it was, but what I would say for people listening is that the reason I was able to share that with him was he was somebody who I felt safe with. When I say safe, I don't mean because he was of authority or anything. I mean, in the sense that he was generally a loving person. A person who, in my eye, I knew I wouldn't be judged, you know, and not, you know, I'll say this, that like, there's some people out there that are like, yeah, tell us, we're not going to judge you. It's like, oh, come on, it's a bunch of, you know, that's not true. There's still a feeling of judgment. He actually was a genuine person. So he showed up to me in a way multiple times, not once, like he didn't sit down for an intervention. Somebody who built trust and somebody who was genuine with himself. And I just felt comfortable to share. So when the time came that, um, I guess I no longer was able to hold it together, but I was great. You know, I was lucky. I got given that opportunity to be sitting with somebody multiple times who was genuinely loving towards me and cared just for the best for me. So that was that. That was on my 24th birthday when I just poured it out. Um, and from there, started a whole new chapter of my life. Not the easiest chapter, but it started a whole new chapter. Um, yeah, that was my 24th birthday, Francesca. Best birthday present ever. That does sound like an incredible birthday experience, but it also sounds like you had to wait a really long time to have that safe environment where you were able to really share. Right? Yeah, I don't I don't think most kids should need to wait till 24. Yeah. So so what does the journey look like from you know once you opened up for the first time? How did the healing begin? Was there resistance from your family? How was turning your life around like? Uh, for me personally, I knew I was in for uh, for some work. You know, I knew I was in for. Uh, I actually just recently opened up my journal from that and just started reading. I had to put it away. It was pretty intense, so I just wasn't in a space to continue. But I didn't know, to be honest. Um, the journey that night was horrific in the sense that I felt completely lost in the sense of identity literally from all angles, sexually, emotionally, physically. I mean, just, I haven't written down all my questions on life that I had at that moment, you know, that were building up for so many years. So I would say at that point, in a certain sense, I was completely lost, but there was a part of me that had a drive to change that. You know, so there was a part of me that even though I didn't, I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel at that time, even though people, you know, people always say, you know, it's you know, it's a tough journey or you'll see it soon. At that time, I, I'll be honest, I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it seemed that there was just a lot of questions. And I, I, a big part that has changed for me over the past few 
for the past, you know, specifically in those uh, first initial one or two years, was just to come to realize for myself that there's nothing wrong with me, you know, because up until then there was, and this is a strong point for everybody listening, and I think it's a life amazing lesson whether you're sexually abused or not, it's irrelevant. We all go through our own abuse in some sort of way of life and our own uh, trials and all that. But I went from a place of feeling that a question about myself was a problem to going into a space of life where having a question about myself opened up space for growth and beauty and love. And I'm going to repeat that because it's a big one. The idea is, let's just go to, I'll fast forward in life right now. I'm 31. When I have a question now about myself, so the mind wants to run to an answer because the mind needs identity, needs control, at least for myself. It wants to feel it knows what's up, right? So I grasp on for something, even if it's not what's best for me. I'll make myself a smaller individual to fit and feel safe. But when I'm open to facing life and I'm opening to stepping into the arena of life and be vulnerable and genuine and I could sit in the question of the unknown, usually I'll get to learn a new feeling, a new experience about myself, and I'll get to see life in a, in a more joyful way. So that's just a big lesson, but it's clearly changed over the years because throughout all of my childhood and teenage, I had so many questions. That was a big thing. Like my mind would obsess. Am I gay? Am I straight? Am I this? Am I that? What am I doing? Are these behaviors normal? Was it normal? What happened? Like, am I an animal? Am I a perpetrator? Am I this? I'm like, anybody who's sexually abused, I think could relate to a lot of those questions that are just like, ah, they get stuck in the head and they just drive shame and they drive guilt and they're, they're unending because there's no answer. That's the truth. It's a question that's just obsessing out of fear for the need of explanation, for the need of making sense of things. So a big part of it came to accept myself in the now, you know, in the present moment, like mindfulness, and the questions go away by themselves because they're not a question. It's just me, you know. That's, you know, to anyone who experiences meditation, mindfulness work, or yoga, or anything in this, I would call it futuristic space, um, can probably relate to what you're talking about, but I think anyone who has no idea what mindfulness is might be getting a little lost. Okay, we'll, we'll bring um, it back down. <laughs> yeah. So the journey, the the main thing for me at that point was just getting the necessary help. You know, getting getting to talk to somebody who would be able to guide me or give me some sort of direction. One of the things that bothered me at the time was people tried helping me who weren't in a space to help me. So we all like want to do great. So I'll give you a therapist, for example. You know, therapists are, are powerful people. They're in a position where they get to help people and guide people through some of the hardest issues that mankind will ever face, right? For example, in my situation, things were pretty bad. I was at a point where suicide was pretty close. Like that was a thought that came in and out. I was um, at that time, I was pretty heavily medicated for anxiety, depression, um, insomnia, like I was taking like, I believe 24 to 26 pills a day at the time, just to manage, just to be okay, guys, like just to be, I was doing all of that. And when I would go to this, the doctor, you know, the psychiatrist, I just told him, I just want to feel normal. You know, that was my, I kept on saying, just make me feel normal. And so they kept on throwing on this pill and that pill. And thankfully I could say today, I, I haven't taken anything. It's been three years now uh, since taking any pill for anything. So, but at that time, I just wanted to feel okay. And 
somebody who's been through sexual abuse, it's, it's trauma. It's pretty severe usually, most of the time. So a standard therapist who's not specialized in things of that nature shouldn't really be offering their services you know, to such a person. Like for me, I needed real help. <laughs> like I ended up going off to 110 days roughly of inpatient treatment for, you know, I went, you know, to drug rehab, which a specific rehab, which is not really about, and I'll share this for everybody out there, drug rehab is not really about drugs. As we said earlier, it's about dealing with really what's going on underneath the surface. You know, there's a cause, there's a root that makes a human being or made myself want to take something to feel comfortable because there's pain underneath. So the first part was just getting the right help. Like I have friends who have been through a similar journey. And they were never given that opportunity that I was given to really um, go out there and get the help they need, do a lot of times to people trying to rescue and help them, but that's not really doing them a favor. You know, I would like to ask you what your relationship with your parents is or your family is, because were they the ones who supported you through finding the help you needed? And sure. So at that time, um, when I, when I, was, when I was around 24, 25, I didn't share a whole lot with my parents of what went on. I opened up to them, but I kept it a little bit on the lowdown. I shared a lot with a brother-in-law who I'm super close with. And at the time, he realized the severity of what was going on. You know, he realized that I was in a pretty tough spot. And he said, listen, man, we're going to do whatever it takes to help you get better. You know, I don't think he knew what he was saying. <laughs> I don't think he realized what that entailed, you know, to go to one treatment center, then to a trauma center, and then to an outpatient house, and then a halfway house, and then to go to therapy for three years. But that the point was I had somebody by my side who was willing and able to help. But I will say this. So somebody might be thinking right now, you know, or you might be thinking, well, not everybody has that. First of all, the person who's just there basically with their credit card saying, go, go get help, go to treatment, right? So I get that. Not everybody's blessed with that opportunity, but there's something just as equally as important that any of us could be and do for somebody who's been through sexual abuse. And, and just to be there as a human for that person, like to be able to show up for somebody who's in pain, you know, and open up a space for them on an emotional level, like we earlier just to be a genuine and loving person naturally if you show up that way a person's going to open and share more with you and one of the greatest things of healing for me has been it's not about the fancy treatment center it's not about the fancy therapist it's about genuinely sharing with somebody what you're feeling what i was feeling i know i get healed when i feel my feelings there's a saying they say uh you know fear f-e-a-r either stands for f everything and run or feel everything and recover and I know that to be true to myself. So when somebody was able to create a space for me over the past 10 years of life where I was comfortable to feel a feeling, you know, and they can't make that for me, but the point is they created that own environment for themselves. I then, that person became a healer for me because I then am able to share with that person a feeling, you know. And thankfully, I've been lucky over the past uh, few years to come in contact with many people who. I have felt safe enough to share feelings and to share the, you know, the demons of the past and to just share what needed to be shared. So, you know, one of the things I wanted, my main reason I agreed to speak on this was because I wanted people to know out there that, you know, I went through some, some pretty severe abuse and it's all severe. I don't like one, like, you know, there's no like Richter scale. It's all bad. Like, you know, there's not like, oh, that wasn't so bad. This is really bad. It's all bad. It's not. You know, and everyone gets affected differently. You know, I know I have a lot of friends 
from this community. Some people, so to say, of what was done to them wasn't as bad, yet they went through, yet they seem to be having a harder time coping with it than somebody who, so to say, was raped over and over again, you know? So, so one of the things that I wanted to give over was that there's a journey out there that you can make yourself a great life. And I'm not saying that out of a cheap place of like, yeah, just be positive. No, it's hard work. And I don't think that would be doing justice to anybody for me to get on here and say, oh, yeah, sexual abuse is it's bad, but don't worry. Life's amazing. It's positive. Just view the bright side. No, it's it's dark. And especially when it's in the earlier stages, um, I can't say I always saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I wish somebody was able to show me my life now, 7, 10, 15 years ago. I would have been like running for help, you know. <laughs> I would have been like, how do I get there quicker, you know, to create that life? But, you know, I know, at least within the Orthodox community, there there seems to be, and this is within all communities, everybody, like I'm friends with people from the, from, you know, Christian Catholic Church, Muslim, um, like I'm friends with people from all communities. And this problem or this idea of sexual abuse happens everywhere. It's not exclusive to Jewish Orthodox community. It happens in all communities. What I have found is anytime there's too much of a system and there's less humanity, as I like to say, then there's more problems. So the less humanity is free flowing as who we were meant to be as beautiful creatures that don't work with systems, the less of those types of issues tend to happen. That's just been my experience and from what I've heard from other people um, out there. So let me ask you this, how, and now that you sort of shunned or spoke negatively about systems, what is your relationship <laughs> with Judaism now? And um, um, I think it's an important part of your story because, and I think it's a journey also. What, what's your relationship with God like now? So I'll answer that question. I view, uh, I'm a big believer in God. I don't know if it is aligned with the way you view God or the way other people, but I'll share with you my part because I personally feel I have a beautiful spiritual life. And I know that when I'm living by a spiritual life, I get to feel joyful. I get to feel, you know, experience joy, experience contentness, uh, experience connectedness, which is the most key I'd say for myself. When I'm connected, I feel happy and joyful. When I'm disconnected, I don't, you know, that's the basic breakdown. So as far as Judaism goes, I've met people from all walks of life and I really don't at this point identify myself personally with any religion. Um, I find it hard to, I don't know, in my mind when, when I hear that, it, it just brings up the idea of separation for me personally. I know on one hand, religion is beautiful because it brings community together. And one of the hardest things about going through sexual abuse and leaving that has been missing my community. I didn't get to grow up like, so to say, a regular kid who just grows up, gets married, has the kids, goes to the school. So on one hand, I think there's a beautiful opportunity with religion that it brings together people. At the same time, I think it could be used for negative, just like anything in life, to be a way to cop out from life. So you could either use religion to embrace life or you could use religion to mask life. So I'll share with you my personal uh, relationship with God that I have and that all of us are, uh, have the opportunity to have. I'm a believer in God and for me, I personally don't believe that there's somebody up in the sky who judges, who loves, who hates, who this, who that. Like, I just don't see it that way. Um, I'm a, I believe that we all have in us God, me, you, every single human walking this planet. 
the proof for me is that we're all alive. And I know from my own experience, I have power in me that's way greater than my body. It's my soul, whatever you want to call it. It's my soul, my spirit, my neshama. Um, and I get to tap into that like anytime I want. It's there every day. I am a creature of God. Everything around me is a creation of God. That you know, I'm looking outside right now, the trees outside my house, the grass in my backyard, the ocean a block away. That's all you know, a life force. There's a life force that goes on on this planet within humans, within animals. And to me, that's God. So there's godliness in every opportunity. And we get to choose how much we want to tap into our godliness, for me personally. So I think one of the most powerful things about being human, like, you know, in, in Judaism is Bechira, you know, the idea of choosing. But I understand now on a much deeper level why that's so profound. And the reason I see it very differently now is because choosing is ultimately in most of our behaviors, I get to choose, am I choosing to connect and get more into my godliness or am I not choosing that? So if I choose to connect to the human next to me, if I choose to connect to my genuineness, if I choose to be in awe of the nature around me, if I choose to be in awe of humanity, if I see much deeper than the external, if I choose to connect to that, I get to access godliness. And ultimately that just leads to joy. Like that leads to a happy life. When I meditate, I get to access godliness on a deep level that I never got in shul. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so nothing wrong with going to shul at all. It's about going to shul, being mindful of what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like everything in life, we at all opportunities, we get to access. Like even if I'm buying a new car, if I'm being honest, aligned with where I'm at and everything like that, my choice of buying a new car gets to be very godly. You know, and what, I'll, I'll say this actually, in the community that I grew up, there was a very like, negative look about mundane matters you know like yeah we're not into that you know that's not important in life and all of that like however as an adult i've come to learn that some of the greatest opportunities at least for myself of accessing spirituality have been through mundane things when i accept myself fully right, any activity can become so beautiful it could be eating it could be even the wanting because because if I'm denying that part of myself, then I haven't accepted the whole part of me. And if I don't accept the whole part of me, I'm denying, I don't know if it sounds too deep, but I'm denying God. Like I'm denying a part of me, you know? Francisca, is this, is this making sense to you? Feel free. No, and but it's not a non-Jewish concept. I mean, we have blessings on food and brachos for a reason. We, we emulate or elevate uh, the materialistic world and make it into spiritual existence or experience by, yes, yeah. yeah so and i'm all about you know materialism being a form of serving god or a form of connecting with your spiritualism with your relationship with god and yourself yeah yeah and i think i think something awesome out there like you know whoever's listening whether you uh do all like all the you know the blessings the brachos whatever before you do this like I think there could be so much more. Like, I always had this dream of like 10 people going to shul and just imagine the scene. They don't open up a sitter, they just go and stand in silence together for 20 minutes. I have a feeling that would be one of the most powerful davenings, so to say, that they, that they would get to experience. Why? Not be, just because there was a presence to that, there was a mindfulness to it. Anything in life, when it's done in a mindful manner, the result of it is so much greater. It's huge. There could be joy. There could be sadness, happiness. 
that's a space of godliness in my eyes. Like when there's, you know, like in the now, you know, coming into the present moment and whatever we do. So if it's making a bracha, I believe the bracha was really only created, the blessing. It was created to bring you into the now, I believe, to notice, holy cow, this apple, where the hell did it come from? You know, to bring you into the awe of like, the beauty of it. Um, I don't think, the, you know, davening and going to shul and all that was created for the action of it. I think it was created for the purpose of it, which is ultimately to connect, right? And you know, I guess we all get to choose um, on that. So, so the answer to your question is that I'm, I'm a big believer in God. Um, I just might see it differently than so. Like I've met many people who have told me, you know, super orthodox. They're like, "You don't believe in God. You don't believe in God." And I was like, "Nah, you don't get. It. You don't get it." I do. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I really believe in God. Not that I need to prove to them something, but I think, not I think, I know God to be true. I see it every day. I live it. I feel it right now as I talk to you and connect to you and whoever's listening. Like that's God. Like it's there. So the answer is yes. I strongly uh. Believe in God, but I will say this: earlier on in uh, my journey, especially like in the teenage years and in the early twenties, I claimed to not believe in God in my head because it was so. Everything was um, there was nothing. I was one of the things about sexual abuse for me, how it affected me, was starting at around puberty. I would say I left the now. I totally disconnected from the now, and I went into a head trip of trauma, you know, of just obsessive thinking and nightmares and all that for basically from like the ages of around 11 till 26, I'd say 24, uh, 24, because then it started shifting to 24, 25. So in that time, I would say I didn't believe in God in a certain way because I was, I don't know if it's possible to believe in God when, when, for, when somebody's so far from the now, you know, like I was disconnected from myself in so much pain so i was like screw that i was like there's no god like in so much pain how could there be a god blah 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 you know so there have been many different parts of the journey and i have clearly like written down in my journal at times there's no way there's god in the world you know but this is where i'm at today yeah and it's it's a personal experience and i think life just takes us on its journey and you, you have and finding your truth is ultimately what makes you alive and helps you make the decisions you need to make. I don't know if what yeah, I'm saying could... makes sense, <laughs> but that's, um, I do want to ask you if, and I know, I know because I know you personally that you have reached out to your abusers as an adult, as part of your healing process. Was that a helpful part of your experience? Did that, like at the time, it felt like something you needed to do. Looking back, was that, how do you feel about that part? So my overall feeling looking back, even though the results weren't the way that I wanted at the time, were still beneficial. Because ultimately, one of the big things about my journey was just being silenced. Like, you know, that being, closed off from saying ever what I wanted to really say. Like there were so many moments where I wanted to say to the person, just stop, go away from me, right? Don't do that to me, don't do this. And that was just bottled up and bottled up and bottled up. So as an adult, I experienced a lot of anger, uh, physical anger and rage towards the people who hurt me, you know, towards the people who abused me. And obviously in the back of my mind, there was always like this daydream of like beating them up one day, you know? 
Um, but I came to understand for myself that's not what would be best for me. That's not what would serve me. And uh, till this day, I haven't punched in my life. So even uh, even one of them, even one of them didn't get it. But what I found beneficial, I did actually go to trial with one of the people who sexually abused me. And even though the results didn't come back the way that necessarily I wanted them, but that's not what I went in it for. The main reason I went in it for was, so where did, where did I get cut off? The reason you went to trial. Yeah, the reason I went to trial was to speak my voice. That's it. It wasn't focused that this person should sit in jail for 10, 20 years, even though there was a list of reasons that the person should sit in jail, you know, according to American law and the justice system. What was beneficial for me was to stand up in court, even though in court I actually did shy down and I didn't really speak that much. But I was given that opportunity to look him in the eye and I owned my reality. You know, like the certain idea of taking back my power and um, just feeling empowered. But what's interesting is at that time, I remember somebody mentioned to me, they're like, you know, Ben, they're like, you'd probably feel so much better if you just forgive the person. You know, because as long as you're holding on to it, you're giving them power. And I get it. There might be truth to what that person's saying, but I think that that all comes along at a certain part of the journey. At that point of the journey, no, I was not ready to forgive the person for some horrible things they did. I just wasn't in space. I would say it's more in the past two years of my life that I've actually forgiven um, some people who've done some horrible things to me, and it feels amazing. It feels really empowering. It feels freeing because I didn't forgive for the sake of them. I forgave solely for the sake that I could stop drinking poison and hoping that they would die. You know what I'm saying? So I, I forgave for the sake of love that I want to have in my life. And how could I have love in my own personal life if I'm still holding anger and frustration towards somebody? And it's opened up a lot of new, uh, new opportunities, a new space of just being a more loving human. And I didn't forgive that person in the sense I didn't go over to him and say, you're okay. No, that's not what forgiveness is about. And for anybody out there who's, for anybody, I think this is a great idea for, you know, nothing to do with sexual abuse. Just to view forgiveness in the sense, as long as I'm not willing on forgiving the other person, I have given a part of my life and my power in the space of love that's available to me away to somebody else. So I have done gone through a phase of forgiving over the past two years and it's been beautiful. And I'm not telling anybody I have to go do it because I think it has its time and place for everyone in their journey. Like when I was in a place of anger and frustration, I didn't want to hear from people to be forgiven. You know, that's not, but ultimately it's a great tool for giving because it really just gives me back my power. And, you know, I don't want anybody owning my power. I want to be a powerful man. Absolutely. So, yeah. And are there any closing remarks or anything you'd like to share? Um, before we close up tonight. Yeah, I would like to share what I've come to learn about humanity, that we're all capable of so much love, guys. Really, I really want to share that. I, I like always experienced myself as a timid, abused kid who had to hide away in my shadow. And what I'm coming to learn about life and about myself is that we all have, at least I know, we all have the opportunity to really create a space of love. And the more we love ourselves, the more we can make a space for other people to love themselves. And the more we love ourselves fully, the you know, we're all incomplete. That, that's the beauty of us. You know, we're all just human. And the more we could tap into that, we can give over more of that. Unless things happen. When there's more love, a kid will come running to the parent and say, Mom, this is what's going on. Because the kid already feels and experiences and knows that this is an environment that accepts 
all of me. If we create an environment that doesn't accept certain realities, we're destined for problems. So my, my last thing is if we can embrace all of ourselves, we're on a good path, my friend. <laughs> 100%. Thank you so much, Bensi, for coming here and sharing your story with us, really being vulnerable and and make elevating your experience and your story to, to help and to bring awareness and to inspire other people because you 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 have become a very inspiring person. And I, I love the ideas that you brought up and a lot of the self-development and self-growth that you have done. And it's, it's, it's hard work, it's daily work. It's, it's not something that you just conquer once and then you're on the other side, as you've mentioned. So thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank you for having me. That's everyone listening out there. I love you all. Great. Thank you so much for listening to the No More Silence segment on the Francisca Show. Please, and I'll add all of that in. But if you haven't yet, definitely check out the podcast. It's available on your podcast app, on your Apple phones or Android phones. And you can subscribe to the show and get notifications with every new episode. If you would like to write in or request to be on the show, please do so by emailing me at franciscak at gmail.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A-K-A-Y at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and go to iTunes and leave us a good review. With your review, the show will rank higher and help others discover the show. This Francisca Show podcast will be hosting a No More Silence special on abuse once a month. However, do check in on other weeks for the interviews with Jewish creatives. See you next time.